0: But to get us started, uh, let me fill you in on where we've been, if this is your first Sunday, where we've been uh, in the past couple of weeks. We've been in this series called Life on a Mission, and what we're doing is we're talking about what it looks like to live on mission for God, because a life on mission should be different. Right? It should be different than the ordinary life. Like When people look at us, if we're a disciple of Christ, if we are out there trying to be the best example of Christ, trying to live into the will of God, then we should look different than the ordinary person. Right? When people look at us, wherever they see us, whether it's downtown, whether it's uptown, whatever you want to call it, whether you're in Phoenix City, Hamilton, Pine Mountain, wherever, then when they look at us, they ought to be able to say, that's a life on mission. Like, that life looks different. That's what I want. So, we've been talking about what does it look like to have a life on mission. And the good news is, is that while we are all uniquely gifted, you know that you are uniquely gifted. When you accept the Holy Spirit, He comes into your life, and He gives you a gift, a way of serving God, and we hope that you are serving God here at the Ridge, okay? And while we're all uniquely gifted, there are some common goals... Right? There are some common things that we all share. And we've been talking about some of those common characteristics of what it means to live that life on mission that we all should be a part of. So um, two weeks ago, we said the common goal is to worship. We're made to worship, and when we worship, our hearts should be connected to God. We shouldn't just offer Him empty gifts. Then last week, we said a life on mission should be passionate, not apathetic. And to get us into today's message... Um, To get us into today's message, I'll tell you about one of my favorite seminary professors. His name was Ellsworth Callis. He wrote a lot of books called Stories from the Backside. It it would be like Old Testament stories from the backside, New Testament stories from the backside, parables from the backside, prophets from the backside. All these stories. And what, what he did was he took those stories out of Scripture and he kind of gave you just a little bit of a different angle to read them. And that's what I want to do this morning. I I want to look at this familiar story, a story that I preach from all the time. And what I want to do is I want to look at the prodigal son and maybe give you a new way of looking at this. How how many of y'all are familiar with the prodigal son story? Let me see. Raise your hand. Okay, good. Good, good, good. We're all on the same plate. I won't have to read the whole thing, but I do want to give you a little background when it comes to the prodigal son. In case some of you may not remember it, this is in Luke 15. So if you got your message notes, go ahead and write down Luke 15 and go home and read that chapter today, okay? Because a lot of what we're going to go over are a lot of stories that come out of Luke 15. You can go back and do some personal study there, okay? But in Luke 15, we find the story of this runaway son. How a young man decides to leave his father, leave his home, and do his own thing. And this is such a powerful example for us. And we hear this preached all the time because we can relate to it. Like, we know what it's like to to pick up and to cash out and to run away from God the Father. How we think that we can do better on our own, apart from the protection and the provision and the passion of the Heavenly Father that loves us so much. And just like the prodigal son, there are many times that we run away, that we end up in a place that we never thought we'd be in, right? Because that's what life does. That's what happens. We make a wrong turn or we turn here, we turn there. We end up in a spot and we're like, How in the world did I get here? And there comes a time when we got to make a decision. We got to make a decision to return to God because deep down in our lives, we realize God's grace is telling us that we were made for more than this, right? That there's got to be something better than this. And we need to come home to the Father. We need to come back to the loving care. Of the heavenly father. And the story goes just like this. we got the younger son run away. He realized this is so much better being with my father. I need to go back home. And so it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds until he does come home and the father comes running out to him. And there's this point where there's this big celebration that happens, right? The father is so excited to have the son back at home because, uh, praise God, even though he's squandered all his money, even though he's done who knows what, the father is so excited because he's not in the hospital. He's not in a ditch somewhere. He is back home where he belongs. Whoops. I'm going to have to limit myself this morning. The only logical response is to party. And for most of us, when we hear this story preached, right, that this is where the story ends. The son is found. And the moral of the story is no matter how far we've gone, No matter how far we've strayed, no matter how far we've drifted, no matter what we've done, the Father is always waiting for you to return home. So won't you come home to the Father? Won't you come home? Won't you be saved? Won't you come inside? And then if you were at camp meetings like I was, you know that we would open up the uh, altar for an invitation and then we'd sing 30 verses of Just As I Am, right? You know what I'm talking about? And give everybody, and we ain't going to leave here till everybody comes down front and comes home to the, you know. You know how that goes, right? But it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. In fact, when I was at St. Luke, I remember Dr. Brady used to always somehow work Luke 15 into most of his messages, because it's just that powerful of a story. But there's another part of this story. And if you've heard me, you know every little bit I go back to this because I think it's good to be reminded of, and it made such a profound impact on me. There's this twist in the story at the end. There's still another character that was introduced at the beginning of this story that we haven't heard from. So look back, at, look back with me at the story. Let's read this together. When Jesus starts this story in verse 11, he says this. He says, There was a man who had two sons, two sons. Okay, so we know about the runaway. Even if you've never been in church before, you've seen the prodigal son. Like, you've heard that story. You've seen pictures of it uh, in the bookstores and things like that. But what about this other son? Like, who is this older son? This is the son that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but in a lot of ways, I think, I really believe, and I'll explain to you why. I think that he is the main point of this story. And I think that as we dive into this older son, I think you'll be surprised to learn how much we can relate to this older son. Sure, we can all relate to the younger son because we've all had those moments of trying to do things on our own apart from God. Some of us have run further away than others, but we've all had those moments where we've had to come back home and we found the love of God and the grace of God. And if you haven't had that moment, I pray that you do. But that's a common one, and I think that you'll be surprised with how much you can also identify with this older son, the older son, the second son that we read about, who was at home, but in a lot of ways was just as lost as the younger son. So let's read through this together. And let's start, let's start, let's go back there. Let's start with what happens to the younger son. And again, the father is so excited. So here, here's what happens in verse 22. It says, but the father said to his servants, this is when the son comes.' on. The father's yelling out to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my young son. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Okay, so you get the urgency here. This younger prodigal son that has run away from home, he comes back and he doesn't even make it down. If you're familiar with the story, he doesn't even make it down the road. His father has been out on the porch. He's looking for his son, waiting for the day that he comes. And when he sees his son, the father starts running. And I'll tell you this, this is a little side note. This was undignified at this time for the head of the household to run down the road after the younger Number one, because of what the younger son had done. He didn't deserve this type of affection from the father, especially in this day. But number two, the fathers had, had a lot of class in those days. And they, they wore long robes and the robes were slit. But to run down the road would mean that he would have to gather up that robe... Tuck it between his legs, expose his legs, and run after the son. And it was just an undignified thing to do. And it's not something that you would have seen done, but yet it's something this father does because he loves his son so much. And he can't believe he's coming home. He's that excited. And so he runs out and he grabs his son and he, he starts yelling back to the house, you know, grab another robe for my son, grab some sandals. He doesn't have any on his feet. Grab, grab the ring that signifies that this is my son and put it on his finger and kill the calf because we got to celebrate tonight. There needs to be a party because my son has come home. And, it, and in my mind, when, when I think about this, I always think of little orphan Annie. Do you remember Annie. When she gets home, when she comes in and everybody's running around and they're dancing and they're singing, we got Annie. You remember that? I don't know what that was. That kind of came out in me. (laughs) I'm going to do a little show and dance for you all, right? This is what I think is happening. Like everybody's singing, everybody's dancing, everybody's so excited he's come home, right? Everybody except for one. One is not. Let's keep reading, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he he doesn't go inside. He comes near to the house. Gets just close enough to see what's going on. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? He says, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him safe and sound. So the older brother's at work. And he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. In fact, he's working so hard, he's so focused, he misses all the commotion. He's like, what's going on? I don't understand. Let me foreshadow this just a little bit with where we're going today by saying I believe that there are some people who are working so hard and consume so much with what they can do. They make it all about themselves and what they're accomplishing. And they totally miss the good thing that the Father is doing in their midst. So the older brother, he asks, what's going on? And when he hears of the party that's happening for his younger brother that's returned home, how do you think he reacts? Like, what do you think he does? Like, how does he respond to this? Does he drop what he's doing? Does he do a little dance? I don't know, do a little gritty outside? Did I I even use that right? I don't even know. Anyway, does he dance outside? Is he excited about it? No, and this this might surprise some of you. Look at verse 28. He says this, the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. Now, this isn't too far-fetched to imagine. To think that this older son is just sitting outside with his arms crossed, sulking, because he wants a party also. I mean, this just kind of sounds like the average messed-up family, right? I remember when I was a youth director and we'd have a Christmas party for the kids at the church... I remember one of, the, one of the things that we had to do when we did this Christmas party was make sure that everybody, it didn't matter what kind of gifts they got, it didn't matter how much you spent on one child as compared to the other child, what you had to do is make sure that every child had the same number of presents. And maybe y'all do this in your homes too with your kids, the same number. Why do we do that? It's because we know what it's like. And we know what happens with some siblings when one feels slighted when somehow they feel like they're not getting what they deserve. And now these brothers are grown-ups here, but we still see this immature side of this other brother, just arms crossed, pitching this little grown-up temper tantrum. But what gets me is the father's response. The father's response in both of these situations, because let me tell you, the father's response to this older son, like if I were the father, I would have marched out in that field, and I probably would have given that older son something to be upset about, right? How many of y'all heard that growing up? Do not cry, I'll give you something to cry about Did y'all hear that? Yeah, yeah. Probably not the best advice to give in church, however... (laughs) <laughs> That's going to be the amen I get. That shows you the difference here at the Ridge. Um, but in this situation, I would not have been a good biblical example, right? I would have gone out there and probably told that other son to stay outside until he gets a better attitude. Then he can come inside with him. But this is not what the father does. Just as the father gets undignified for his younger son and runs out to him in that loving, caring way, he also comes out to this older son. He goes out after him and tries to get him to come inside. Look at this. So his father went out and he pleaded. He's begging his son here. But he answered his father. The older son said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. The dad goes on to say in this, Son, everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. But your brother has come home. We have to celebrate, so stop being a party pooper. Now, again, this is not the typical response that we would expect from an older, more mature brother. I mean, doesn't he care about his younger brother? Like, doesn't he care, like, where he's been, what's happened to him? Like, isn't he glad that he's come home? Maybe go inside and give him a big old bear hug and maybe a noogie. Like, what have you been up to? Like, what are you doing? Do you know why he's outside? I think for the older brother, it all comes down to pride. It all comes down to spiritual pride. You see, I think, I think that a life on mission, a life on mission is one that's humble and not prideful. The Bible teaches us that Jesus, that God is looking for humility. Humility stands out. Like when you see it, you want it. You take notice. You're like, that is a different type of person. That's a life on mission. But so often, It's just too easy to let pride get the best of us. And this happens when we find our value and and meaning in ourselves or in what we do rather than finding our purpose or our mission in God, the Father, right? So you know what I think? I think when it comes to the story, I think the real purpose of the story isn't just the younger son. And I know we focus on that, and I know that's the feel-good story, right? But I really think the reason that Jesus told this story is to come against spiritual pride, Now follow me here, and the reason that I say that, that it has more to do with the older son than the younger son, is because you got to understand the audience that Jesus was speaking to. The whole reason that Jesus tells this story is for all the churchy, arrogant people, prideful people that are standing in the back listening to Jesus teach. These people were filled with so much pride that it just irked Jesus. It just got under his skin. Let me show you. Back at the beginning of chapter 15, it says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, okay? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the churchy-churchy people, the religious people, the prideful people, they all stood in the back and they muttered among themselves, this man, this Jesus, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You see, Jesus attracted a crowd that was desperate to know about God, right? A crowd that could identify with the younger son because they were the ones that were thought of as being lost, having wandered away. And the churchy people, the prideful people, who thought that they were a little better, right? They looked down on these so-called sinners, you know, the alcoholics or the sexually immoral. And they would just they would shun those people who needed to know about the grace of God the most. So Jesus is looking at this crowd and he sees these arrogant people standing in the back. He knows that they're prideful and so he launches into these stories. And chances are you know the stories that Jesus launch, launches into. When you go home and reread Luke 15, you'll find the story of the lost sheep. And how the shepherd goes off. And he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one lost sheep. And when he finds them, he brings them back and then they celebrate. And then he tells the story of the lost coin and how a lady searches and searches and searches for a lost coin. And then when she finds the coin, she calls her friends and they celebrate. And then he ends it with the son, the prodigal son. Jesus closes with this one thinking, surely these prideful people will get it because here is a real person. Like a real person who is lost from God and he has come home, surely they'll want to celebrate. And so when you take all this in together, you begin to realize that there's this theme that develops. Something, someone is lost and now they're found and it's time to celebrate. I'm terrible for uh, when it comes to looking for things. I lose things all the time, and I can never find what's like right in front of me. And just last week, like I was looking for so I was looking for uh, to- uh, for um, some um, toenail clippers. I don't even know why I said toenail clippers, but there you go. You get all the details. There you go. I could have just said I'm looking for something, but now all y'all are gonna picture me with toenail clippers. Anyway, I'm looking for them. And I go, uh, Shannon, I can't find them. She goes, they're in your drawer. But the way I say it is very condemning because I say it like, I can't find them. Which really means I think you took them and you put them somewhere. Because that's what happens when I lose something. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault because you obviously took it, right? So, of course, she goes to the drawer. She finds the toenail flippers right where they're supposed to be. And that's how it generally happens. But when I lose something, I can never find something that's right in front of me. So when I actually do find it, I do a little celebration. I'm like, yay! And you think that in the story, after something that's so valuable is found, that there would be time to celebrate what's happening. And yet Jesus... When he's teaching in this moment, he is seeing all these people come to know God. He's seeing these people come home to the Father. And yet he's looking at these yahoos standing in the back, standing around like party poopers. And Jesus talks about this older brother not being willing to celebrate. And it's Jesus' way of calling them out and saying how foolish they're acting. And they're only thinking of themselves. And Jesus basically looks at this story and he's like, these sinners, man, they're coming home. The the alcoholics are finding that they can be filled with the Spirit of God instead of the spirits from the bar. You know, the prostitutes are finding their value as a child of God and not in the eyes of men. The children that grew up without a dad in the home that were foster kids, now they find that they do have a heavenly Father that does love them and invites them into his home. And Jesus like, the question isn't, why am I with people like this? The question is, why aren't you? Like, why aren't you celebrating what God is doing in their life? Why are you being like this? Why are you letting your pride get in the way? You see, pride will get in the way of being on mission for God. A life on mission for God is one that's filled with humility. So how does pride get in the way? There's there's a couple things. Number one, if you got your notes, we're going to fill in these blanks really quickly. Just a a few prideful attitudes that we got to be aware of. Number one is comparing, comparing. And when we compare to other people, you know what we do? We exaggerate how much better we are than other people. And see if you can relate to this. The older brother, when he talks about the younger son, he looks at the father and he says, this son of yours. It's not even my brother. This son of yours. And then he says, he has squandered all his money on prostitutes. He adds this in here, but honestly, go back and read the story. Jesus never said this is how he squandered his money. He just said wild living. But yet, in order for the older son to feel better than the younger son, he pounds down on him and he adds this detail when he has no way of really knowing what happened. And that's what we do. We're so good at comparing, and when we do, we exaggerate just how much better we are than other people. At least I'm not like so-and-so. So... You know, I know we're struggling right now, but, if, you know, have you seen this other couple? Have you seen them? Man, at least we're not like them. It's so easy to do this. It's so easy to allow this attitude to come in sometimes. We exaggerate and we try to make ourselves look better. The second thing, the prideful attitude is envious. When we're envious of others, when we're jealous, we're just plain jealous. The older son is like, I deserve the fat and calf. Like, I deserve that cavity. He's, I've been feeding him. The brother hadn't done anything for him. I've been the one working for this. I should have that. And it's almost like there's a competition here. And the older brother feels like he's not winning. Like the younger brother is beating him for some reason, when that's not the case. You know what Scripture says when it comes to this, when it comes to both of these, as far as comparing and being jealous of others? The Bible says that we, we don't need to keep track. Like, we don't need to keep score. Because if we keep score, we're not going to like where we end up because none of us are worthy. The third thing we got to worry about is being critical. Number three is critical. We're so critical of others. Not only was he disrespectful to the father, but he did it in such a critical, complaining spirit. You can almost hear the whining come out of this older son. And a complaining, critical spirit will just suck the joy out of any situation. So if I can be honest, I still struggle with being the older son at times. I've had those moments. And I still have moments where pride creeps in. I still have moments of comparison, envy, and criticism where it gets the best of me. Now, I don't know about you, but what do you think? Do you struggle with this sometimes, maybe with family members, with those in your work, with those in your school? I really think that it happens to every, everybody, and here's what I've learned. I've learned that when I become prideful, I find it really hard to celebrate what God's doing in the lives of other people because I have a way of making it all about me. And I'm still learning in a lot of ways that it doesn't have to be all about me. In fact, I can celebrate more. I find more joy when I learn to make it about others, when I celebrate what God is doing in the lives of other people. And when I'm so full of myself, what I begin to realize is that I don't leave a whole lot of room for God. So what can we do? Like, How do we let go of this pride that just wells up in us, that keeps us from living on mission? That keeps us outside instead of inside with the Father. And what we got to do is very simple. We just got to humble ourselves. It all comes down to humility. Humility, a life on mission, humility. When we learn to empty ourselves, when we learn to humble ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled by the grace of God. One more story before I close. John the Baptist really popular figure in scripture, of course, and when you read this story of John the Baptist, you'll see that thousands of people were coming to him and to his ministry to be baptized. And so all these people are coming to John the Baptist, and then one day they stop coming because they're going to Jesus. And some of John's disciples come up to John, and they're saying, um, this Jesus, okay? We need to talk about this Jesus. He's taken all the people away from us, and everybody's going to him, And John's disciples, that they're comparing and they're a little envious. And I'm sure if we read a little bit more or had a little bit more of what they were saying, we would have seen that they would have been probably critical of what was happening. But John's response in this situation is something we all need to hear when we feel that pride creeping in. And here's what John says. He says, he, which is Jesus, Jesus must become more important and I must become less important. That's the key. That's the key to a life on mission. See, that's the answer. If I empty myself, if in that moment, I, 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 when I see what, uh, pride begin to well up in me, if I can, if I can empty more of myself, I can fill more of my life and more of this situation with the presence of God. Humility is all about looking for God's glory. So the next time you feel pride beginning to well up inside of you and you begin to recognize that you are the older son and you're standing outside and you're not willing to celebrate what's happening in the lives of other people or make it about them because you're too concerned with yourself, maybe ask this question, and here's the question. Is this about me or is this about God? Is this about me or is this about God, right? Is this about God's glory or is this about my glory? Like, is what I'm doing right now, is what I'm thinking right now, right? Is what I'm going after right now, is this goal in front of me right now, is this about God or is this about me? What if the older son had done that? Like, what if the older son had just stopped for a minute and considered his actions and he asked himself that question, is it about me or is this about the Father? What if? What if he had done that? What would have happened? And that leads me back to the story because you know what? We don't know what happens in this story. The story just kind of finishes. We don't know the ending to it. It's almost like Jesus just does a mic drop and he walks away. And he does it on purpose to give those people in the back something to think about. Does the older son ever get over himself and come inside? Does does he join the party? Does he celebrate? We don't know. But what we do know is that pride will keep you outside. Pride will keep you outside. So maybe we humble ourselves. Maybe we begin to empty ourselves so that we can be filled with the transforming grace of God. And we learn to celebrate all that God is doing in and around us. And we make it about others and not about ourselves. And that is a life on mission. Let's pray. God, I just thank you God, I thank you so much that you run to us. God, that you run to the prodigal son, those that are far from you. God, you run to them, but you also run to the prideful people, those that are just too wrapped up in themselves to realize what you're doing. God, either way, we serve a God that runs after us, that comes to us, that loves us, regardless of what we've done. So God, help us to understand what it means to humble ourselves. God, help us to see how much our pride can get in the way. When we're so consumed with ourselves, it gets in the way of our relationship with you. It gets in the way of our relationship with others. It gets in the way of rejoicing with others. It just gets in the way of joy, period. So God, as we leave here today, may we just empty ourselves. May we learn just to let go so that we can be filled by your presence. And that's our goal to be a life on mission that reflects the presence of your spirit alive and working in us. God, we love you so much. We thank you. God, we just pray that you would continue to change us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. And it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen and amen.